Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning to everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, I'm going to read something, just share something that I found um, that I had lost for a long time and, and, and recently refound. And uh, it's, a, it's a talk by Joko Beck um, that seems to be from the 1980s. I found it on a, a list serve organized by some followers of Joko Beck's in Australia. And I, I read part of it to, to uh, Peg last week, and she was not familiar with it. So this is a rarity, I guess. Um, and uh, I'll read it, and then we will have some time for discussion. I'll have a, question, a couple of questions to add uh, for the discussion uh, in our breakout rooms. And let's see, we have um, 15 people. So, and I'm guessing unless somebody adds or drops out, that it would be uh, five rooms of three. And I, I'm not gonna take part in a, in a discussion room or, or a breakout room myself. Uh, and then we'll come back after about 15 minutes and then have a group discussion. I'll have a couple more things to add to it at that time. Okay, I hope that works for everybody. Ellen, I'm loving your cat. That's great. Okay, this is called The Pools by Charlotte Joko Beck Sensei. Um, she, said, she begins, let's picture if we can two landscapes. The first has a deep, clear, quiet pool. And the second also has a deep, clear, quiet pool. The first one is surrounded by garbage. The second one, also surrounded by garbage, has an odd characteristic. Everyone who comes to it and jumps into the pool takes a little pile of garbage in with him. And there is something in the pool that eats it up, so it remains quiet and clear. Which kind of practice are you doing? Most of us long for deep, blissful sitting, and even if our pool of peace is ringed around with garbage, we attempt to not notice it. If the garbage can disturb us, we want to ignore it. We don't like difficulties. We prefer to sit in our own peace and not be intruded upon. That's one type of sitting. The other type of pool eats up the garbage as fast as it appears. It is consumed as the person entering the pool carries it in with him. Still, in a short time, the pool is clear and undisturbed. It may churn more at first. The major difference is that the first pool ends up with more and more garbage around it. The second pool has none or very little. As has been said, most of us long for the first kind of practice or life. But the second, facing life as it is, is more genuine. We keep churning up our drama, seeing it, experiencing it, swallowing it, throwing the garbage into ourselves, the deep pool that we are. A practice exclusively devoted to concentration, shutting out all but the object of concentration, is the first pool. Very peaceful, very seductive. 
But when you climb out of the pool, the garbage of life remains. Our dualistic dealings with our work and relationships. You haven't handled them. Or you may resort to the well-intentioned but inaccurate device of positive thinking or affirmations. The gas in the garbage increase, and in time it explodes. The second pool, being each moment of life, pleasant or unpleasant, is at times a slow and frustrating practice, but in the long run, fruitful and satisfying. With all that as a background, let's look at what, we can, at what can be called the turning point in our life and in our practice. From what are we turning? Let's look at some sentences. One, I feel irritated. I feel annoyed. I feel happy. What we omit is, I feel I am hurt by you. I feel I, I have been made happy by you. Actually, the fact is not that you irritate me. It's that I have a desire to be irritated. You may loudly protest, hearing this, oh, never, I certainly don't want to feel irritated or hurt. Well, just for a few years, intelligently in the second pool, the first and uncomfortable years of sitting make it clearer and clearer that one's desire to be irritated or angry, uh, that, that one's desire is to be irritated or angry, to be separate. That's almost all I have known as a means to, to preserve and protect what I think is my identity. With continued awareness, it dawns upon one that there is only one person who can irritate me or make me feel lonely or depressed, and it is myself, myself as a false identity. You begin to see a strange and lethal truth. Contrary to our beliefs, our basic drive and all our life force goes into a struggle to, perpetu to perpetuate our separateness, our touchiness, our self-righteousness. Lao Tzu said, he who feels punctured must be a balloon. The balloon of irritability, anger, self-centered opinions. If we can be punctured, that is, hurt, we can be sure that we are still a balloon, and we want to be a balloon. Otherwise, we could not be punctured. But our greatest desire is to keep the balloon inflated. After all, that's me. So what would turning be? What is the turning point? It begins when we observe and feel our anger, our manipulation, our anxiety, and know in our hearts a deep determination to be in another mode. That is, to, if the way I'm hearing this, when she says turning point, she means turning away from our actual experience. And we, and we know in our hearts a deep determination to be in another mode. Then the real transformation to begin. Instead of ignoring garbage, pushing it away, wallowing it even, we take our garbage into ourselves and let it digest. We take ourselves with us into the pool of life. This begins the turning. After it, life is never quite the same. The turning it's at first feeble and intermittent. Over time, it can become stronger and more insistent. In Christian terms, uh, you sometimes hear about the hound of heaven that chases us. 
as it strengthens more and more, we know who our master is. Of course, the master is not a thing or a person, but our awakening knowledge of who we are. The difficult years of practice and life come before the turning. The patience and skill of both teacher and student are called on to the utmost. Some, but not all, will make it through the difficulties. Gurdjieff said, man is a machine. We know how machines work. When the blender's button gets pushed, it goes whoosh. When we turn our car's ignition key, the motor roars. The adverse when we turn them off. Man is a machine. Why? In what sense? As long as a man's primary drive is to keep his balloon unpunctured, to avoid having his buttons pushed, he is an automatic machine that has no choice. Even moving from passive dependence to an active and angry independence, for example, quote, don't tell me what to do, end quote, is still an activity of a machine that can be manipulated by buttons. I feel ruled and compelled by something else. I have no choice. Like the blender, if pushed, I turn on and respond in a certain way. Suppose you do something to me that I view as punishing or mean or unfair, something I feel like I don't deserve. How do I react when this button is pushed? With anger? I may not reveal my anger, or I may turn it against myself, but do I feel that anger? Then I am a machine. In this instance, what would the turning point be? The turning point is my ability, developed slowly by practice, to be aware of the thoughts and the bodily sensations that comprise anger. In the observing, of thoughts and sensations, anger will swallow itself, and its energy can open life, can open life instead of destroying it. Then I, who feels anger, can act out of this clarity in a manner that benefits me and you. This is the way of the second pool, the one that takes the garbage, digests it, let, letting it feed and renew life as compost does in a garden. Let us not have some naive notion that this ability is won overnight. A lifetime is more like it. Nevertheless, faithful and determined practice makes a difference and fairly soon at that. We come to view the unpleasant aspects of life as learning opportunities. If my balloon is deflated a little, great. As an opportunity to be welcomed, not avoided or dramatized. Each round of such practice renders us a little less machine-like, gives us more the appreciation of ourselves and others. Let us be willing to live in the second pool. So that's the end of the talk. Um, I, found this, I found this on the internet. It must have been on a list serve or something. It was really a long time ago. And I printed it out in... Uh, using my old uh, dot matrix printer that I had. And um, I, I had lost it for a number of years, but it was really important to me. And the name, Charlotte Joko Beck's name stuck with me. And when I saw that Peg was teaching in the style of 
Joko Beck, that kind of sparked something in me. And it was, it, it was clear that what she was talking about was um, an approach that did not require simply concentration and, simple, and, and was about integrating our whole lives and, and seemed to imply to me a willingness to um, uh, use the tools of Western psychology. So when I got to know Peg and, and, and Flint and through Flint um, uh, about this approach, it, it made a lot of sense to me and, and um, uh, that's why Apamata became such an important part of my life. But it, it, I wouldn't have known it if I had not seen this thing kind of by accident uh, a long time before and then lost contact with it. So uh, I, I think we should now um, go into our uh, breakout rooms for about 15 minutes and I'm seeing that we have now more than we have 22 people and you're going to have to figure it out um, yeah you, you don't need to worry about the math we can, okay, we can just, have, it just happens uh, automatically yeah. but we'll just I, keep I'm it with this I'm thinking part. about the next sentence and my brain cannot process any math at this moment good so, <laughs> anyway I have a question what do you think I, I mentioned the Brahma Viharas earlier when we were sitting. If you were thinking about the Brahma Viharas, what would you think that in terms of their application, um, in terms of their application, the uh, Brahma Viharas, make a, what, what, what among them make the biggest difference between those two pools that, that uh, Joko Beck is describing? So that's my question I ask, and I'd love you to think about it, talk about it uh, in whatever way that works within your groups and then come back with it. I see Anne Lipscomb's raising her hand, yes? Uh, I, I, can I, I might be able to unmute you. Uh, Anne, I can hear you. Yeah, can you go over for us just rapidly the Brahma Viharas? Uh, okay, you know, I, I remember three but I know there's four and I'm, I, I'm really embarrassed, but there's loving kindness, there's compassion, there's equanimity, and Joan Harmon? Sympathetic joy. Sympathetic joy. Sympathetic joy, thank you so much. Okay. So, and uh, Darcy asked that I send out a copy of this document. Um, I can, but not, I, I will do so this afternoon, but I can't from here, I'm afraid. Um, so, I hope it works out that you can be able to discuss among yourselves and recall what you can. Okay? Any further questions? Please raise your hands if there's further questions. Okay, thank you. Let's break and, and into our break rooms. to share from the discussion in their group to, uh, to speak now. And then I have something from a teacher named Shinzen Young that I'd like to read about um, his take on this. Uh, not specifically, but something close to what Joko was talking about. And um, whoever would like to go first, please raise your hand.
uh, Joan and Bill, yeah, Bill and Joan. And can you unmute them? You got it, John. Yeah. I, I thought about this in terms of anger. That uh, the first thing you got to do is get rid of the energy involved in the anger somehow, uh, because it blocks you from going further. Uh, and then it, it, if you can clear that off the plate, you have a chance then to build on that plate something more positive. Okay, and what, if you were doing that in meditation, what, what's some way that you would be able to, as you say, clear that energy? Is there some way to do that? That works for you? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think it's just a question of, of, of beginning to think about it and then realizing that, that this is not getting you anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want whatever it is that you were angry about to change, you have to start thinking of ways to do that. Right. So it, it sounds to me like it involves engaging different parts of your mind or different parts of, you know, being, you know, taking something that's a primal experience, like the really clenched energetic feeling of anger and opening that up to like, I think I'm going to evaluate whether this is working for me or not, you know kind of opening it up to uh, a more rational approach, right? Is that, does that sound right? Yes, yes, uh-huh. Yeah. So, and I, when I say rational, I don't mean that in a, uh, you know, with a value judgment, but just like we have some parts of our brains that work fast and other parts that work slower, and to be engaged them all, at, to be able to engage them all, gives it more, more balance. It's, it's, I, and it's I, think this, I think this works easier when uh, you recognize that you have the responsibility that uh, you, you begin searching now for a way for you not to be so angry about whatever it is, uh, which may not be the other person's fault at all. Mm -hmm. but, but you're now beginning to search for what is a better way to react to this? What is a better way to move forward? Yeah, and, the, and I'm thinking, you know, what Peg and Flint have so often talked about, that in the language of internal family systems, that you bring in the part that is your true self and not just like the exiles and the managers and the, you know, these other kind of partial selves, but, but, the, but, but the integrated whole self, or, you know, as sometimes called the more adult person who begins to think in terms of responsibility. It's like, oh, well, how did I contribute to this? And I am, and, and is it really true that I'm responsible for my own feelings and dealing with them? But that's a, that again is something that Joko is pointing to and that has a real language that gets used a lot by Peg and Flynn. Uh, Anne Lipscomb. Uh, you have your hand raised, is that right? Yeah, I know I'm struck by the vocabulary of opening. And I re remember there's a book that I have that I have yet to finish by a Zen master, <clears throat> excuse me, called Opening the Hand of Thought. 
And I just keep having that image of, like you said, Joel, a clenched fist and opening that hand and being willing when something arises to open that, to be, to sit with it. And I know in the group I was in, the breakout group, we talked about the different Brahma Viharas and how you need all of them. They're aspects of, of a single thing and you really have to have all of them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Barbara, I see your hand. Barbara Monroe. Yeah, we, um, yeah, our, our group worked, we were talking about the Brahma Viharas and whether they're a tool or a point, a way to meditate. Uh, are they, uh, are they results of, of meditation or are they abodes? Are they, you know, so we didn't really have a, a firm conclusion about it, but that's one of the things that we talked about that was really, um, um, comp- I, I think, deserves more comment or, or deliberation on that. What is the relationship of the Brahma Viharas to these two pools? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellen, I see your hand up. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I found that uh, confusing to think about too, the relationship of the Brahma Viharas to Joko Beck's uh, article. And what I came, what I came up with was that the first step, the first step has to be the Brahma Viharas for yourself. So if you're really mad or in despair or whatever it is, um, that it would it would it would have to be feeling uh, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and 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 then sort of entering a state of equanimity it would have to start uh, with yourself, and then that makes a little space for whatever the emotion is to to evolve and however it evolves. I, I'm reminded that that is such a good point, and I'm reminded of a of a uh, some other reading I've done recently from a, a, a newish book by Rick Hansen, and um, that Rick Hansen says you have to start by being on your own side, and that the invoking the Brahma Viharas all amount to being on your own side. That like you you stop and and think. I extend compassion and loving kindness and and sympathetic joy to myself, and that that has a way of literally heartening you and uh, allowing you to approach what is difficult uh, and to hold it, even though you you may, <clears throat> through habit, through fear, feel like you have to get rid of that stuff and not let other people see it, and that begins with not you with you not seeing it. Uh, and you can only do that if you have, have done, you can only face those things in, in a way to deal with them if you have begun that work as you suggest, Ellen. 
That's that's what it seems to me. So, um, I'm going to call Joan Harmon and then Joan Mueller. Um, Peg has said, uh, and I don't think it's the exhaustive list. You know, the the Buddha was big on lists, but the Brahma Viharas are our Buddha nature, and so it's like re um, getting in touch with our Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's always there. All of them are always present for all of us all the time, right? It's just so easy to forget and take off in a different direction. Um, Joan Muller? I brought up something in our group that I've just discovered, and it's not that it hasn't been around for a lifetime. Not sure who I heard from heard about it first was Jack Cornfield's book, A Path with Heart. And I told Bill, don't bother me for the next week, because I'm going to be into that book all the way. Okay. Because it takes you from the big picture out there where you're being very strict with yourself and you, you know, just muscle your way through. Right going backward into the human being part of you that is the basis for what happens. I'm just waiting. I just can hardly wait. Each page is full of it. Hmm. I read that a long time ago. That's, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I, I, and uh, I, but I, I've got to check it out again myself. Um, any other comments? If not, I can read something. Uh, Susan, Susan Empson. Susan? No, but just in case. <laughs> there are many Susans. I was just going to say, we in our group talked at first about, and this might just be me and my misconception, talked about the Brahmana Viharas as like a, the light you shine on, the garbage you take into the pool. And like the which Brahmana Vihara you shine depends on the nature of the garbage. But as you were speaking, I realized the Brahmana Viharas are actually the pool. It's not some light outside of the pool. It's actually the pool. And so like you bring the garbage into the pool with you and that's where you orient towards it with the Brahma Vihara as you are awake to it. So I just had that realization and wanted to share it. That is great. You know, I when I was setting this up, I had a very strong feeling. I was actually talking about this with Anne Heinen while uh, everybody else was in different breakout rooms, but I I had a very strong uh, feeling that the most important Brahma Bihara was equanimity. That just the ability to kind of, as Bill was describing, step away, you know, get a little bit of a break, get a little bit of distance between the strong feeling and where you are right now. And that, and that gives you a sense of equanimity, the, the ability to hold that difficult thing without it overwhelming you without it, um, without, you know, being totally swept up in the emotion, but registering the emotion and watching it as it goes through in terms of body sensations, in terms of thoughts, and that those, you know, that, that, that I was just really leaning on uh, equanimity, partially because of something that I was going to read before from Shinzen Young, but I, I think we've really covered 
what needs to be said and that and what he has to offer is not going to be that illuminating beyond what what has been said here but because of you know what i'm hearing from everybody here i really agree that that it the it is the that the pool is not just like you with your thoughts and then you've got some equanimity excuse me for knocking the table over um it is all it is the brahma viharas it is this capacity that is within all of us to um meet things with friendliness and compassion and and to not get swept away by them even when they're so difficult and to have sympathetic joy uh, which is you know this capacity to, to realize when we are doing the right thing you know when we are holding things in in this generous and loving way and 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 to be able to extend that out beyond ourselves as well so it is all those things Any further thoughts? Joan Harmon? Well, in your talk with equanimity, in our group, we talked about seeing things arise. And when we were able to stop and look at them, it's as though equanimity appears. And mm -hmm. I think Bill was kind of saying that, that, mm -hmm. that you know, you, you, you see this emotion arise, but if, if you just look at it, it, it dissipates. I guess that's our changing world, but it just seems like equanimity appears once you can stop and look at it. Yeah, I, it, I think it's one of those chicken and egg things. So you've got to have some equanimity to stop, but then it strengthens, you know, it, 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 it reveals itself as a, entity or a, a quality that that is uh, can be used uh, and can benefit us but yeah that the it, that is it is that ability to slow down and not simply be carried away by the brain chemicals that surge through us and and, and um, that not only you know fill us with anger in the moment but that amount to like deep grooves in our psyches, you know, the, the pathways that we travel again and again and again, to, that, it's, that it somehow, you know, gives us a capacity to recognize, oh yeah, that's a groove that I, that, that, that's a spot or a, a, an approach that I take over and over again. Is it, as, as Bill said, is, it, is this really serving me? Is this really helping me to be how I want to be? You know, to, and that somehow that that to me that uh, speaks a lot to equanimity, which is why I was, you know, wanting to spring that on everybody when we came back. But, but uh, really, what Susan just put it, uh, just said is really the absolute truth. I think uh, that that applies to this. Oh yes, Rosemary. Uh, yeah, in our group, um, Joan gave a beautiful example of being irritated with her husband about something internally and um, how she was noticing it and what she was saying to herself, you know, he's kind of always like that or something like that, and um, allowing it to sit and percolate and 
lo and behold, things she did not react. And um, it worked out just fine. And I thought it, you know, it kind of related to um, what Joko Beck was saying in the article about we, we do this out of protection. You know, we want to, to um, you know, um, it, it's kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe it is human nature to, to pull apart more than it is to pull together. So it's ready. We're just going ready. And so, um, you know, the slow down, the inviting it in, you know, like inviting the, the garbage in. And, um, you know, um, I think it was Susan and also um, Ellen that was saying, you know, well, the pool is Buddha and well, the pool is us. So if we have, you know, if we have, we have all of this Brahma, Vihara, whatever, I don't know how to say the words, but at any rate, we, we have it. And then we bring, if we're open to bringing it in, bringing the stuff in. And, and allowing the whatever is in there to let it work itself through uh, to be clear. Mm -hmm. So, uh, John Miller. I just wanted to say that as I sit here and reflect, I appreciate having the Sangha and groups like this. Thank you. Usually I think, oh dear, we're going to have to sit and da da da. But this is where we open up and and we work with what we're talking about with mm -hmm. people who really are asking the same questions. Really is valuable. Thank you very much. There's a story that Peg and Flint have quoted that uh, I will mess up the most important part of, but uh, it is well maybe not the most important part, but the. That is, that one of the Buddha's closest attendants toward the end of his life came to him and said, and I think it was Ananda, but correct me if you know the real answer, um, came to him and said, you know, Gautama, I'm thinking that uh, spiritual friendship is really important on the path. And the Buddha is famous to have replied, no, it is the whole path. And that to, to be able to communicate to share with other people reveals things to ourselves that we can't see on our own and helps us when we can be met with compassion and loving kindness and equanimity and sympathetic joy. That we can, it, it allows us to be healed in ways that we cannot do on our own. So, thank you.